Our text today is, uh, is written in the sixth chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews, beginning at verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might, find, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We have been going through our sermon series on Hebrews and going through it um, uh, somewhat um, paced and, and slowly, and we are getting into the heart of the message of, um, of the letter that the author has written. Uh, we are doing this because it can all, often be very hard uh, to understand who we are um, as Christians, as a church in this culture, as it rapidly shifts around us. I used to remember thinking through uh, how computers upgraded their, their processing and their power and their speed every year, a couple of years, and now it seems like it's every month or so. It seems like culture is shifting that quickly around us. And Hebrews is a text, I think, that is important for us right now to remind us not just to be simple in our responses to how people challenge us, challenge our faith, but to go deeper into a much um, more deeper understanding, more thorough understanding, more faithful understanding to what God is calling us to in the person of Jesus Christ and what his role is, what his role has been, what his role is now and what his role will be. We use, the writer of Hebrews uses the word forever a lot. I think forever reminds us of the constancy, the consistency that God has in this world and in our lives as well. One thing that disrupted my world greatly growing up, it's always fun to preach these sermons when my parents are here, uh, was between, it was right after fifth grade, we moved from Edmond, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City area, to Tulsa. This was a great unmooring of my life and the, the, the constancy and the consistency that I knew to be for the first 11 years. It's the longest place I've ever lived in my entire life, singularly, since then. We moved uh, 90 miles, 100 miles from Oklahoma City area to Tulsa. And it was in this time, this disruption, going into middle school of all times, that I had to begin to think through who Christ was in my life and what that was going to mean for me. I had grown up in the church. Uh, my parents are Christians, and so that was a big part of who we were and what we did. But it wasn't quite personal. But in this move, in this disruption, Christ became personal to me. And as I experienced this unmooring, Christ came into my life to keep me from 
drifting. He gave me purpose and direction in that moment. Uh, throughout the following years, I thought, oh, maybe I'll, I'll go into ministry, and I took some turns here and there in getting it. But it was in that move, in that time frame, that God both called me to Himself and called me into what He has for me in this life as well. Last week, we talked about the promise of salvation, that it comes through patient faithfulness. And the question always when we talk about patience and faithfulness is how long? How long do we have to wait? Patience it makes it seem like it's taking forever, and it does feel like that, his promise of salvation in our lives and to be able to see what he is doing in our life and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So how long? How do we know God's promise of salvation is going to come through? What is our hope? The author of the Hebrews tells us that God gives us an example, and he gives us something to hold fast to. He gives us an example in Abraham, and he gives us an anchor to hold fast to as we wait, as we are patient. This promise comes, uh, as he talks about here in the beginning part of our passage in verses 13 uh, through the middle of 18. He says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, waiting, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes uh, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie. This is what God does. He promises and he gives an oath. He promised to Abraham, which can be found, this specific promise is found in Genesis 22, and it happens right around when God asks him to Abraham to take his son Isaac to sacrifice him unto the Lord. This was rather an unusual request, and theologians, commentators uh, wrestle with God's request for this and have wrestled for it uh, with it. Um, Isaac was the one who was promised to Abraham by which God would fulfill his covenant, his promise to him, and now he's asking him to sacrifice him to the Lord. Abraham had waited till he was a hundred years old to hear this uh, promise of to receive the promise of Isaac, and now God is asking him to give him up. But also in this moment, God reaffirms his promise. He stays Abraham's hand from killing Isaac from the actual sacrifice, provides another way for him to be able to worship the Lord, and then he comes back and says, "Because you have." Proven yourself faithful to me. He says a second time, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because 
you obeyed my voice. God comes again to remind Abraham of the promise that he has for him. And he says, I swear it by my name. He secures it with an oath. God can only swear by himself. He is the highest being in all uh, of, the, of, of creation. And so he swears by his own name so that he says, I will fulfill the promise. In doing so, he binds his promise to the unchanging character of his purpose. God's own character says, I will do this thing. The Greco-Roman world in which the author of Hebrews was writing, all of these oaths were used to uh, settle disputes between them. They would swear to different gods to say, you know, by, by the name of Zeus, by the name of Xerxes, by Artemis, all these other gods. This, and that would prove that what the person was saying uh, was true, that they were, they were promising or they were securing what they had said. We still do this today. Courtrooms still do this thing when we swear, when we sit uh, on the, uh, the stand itself. We take oaths. This is legal language being used. And what God is saying by double guaranteeing it, He says, I will bring this to completion on my own name, on me And he says, we are the heirs of this promise. The beautiful thing here is not only are we the heirs in which we receive the inheritance of the promise of salvation, but we also are the fulfillment of it, that we, by us, does God bless the nations. By us, are we included in the promise? And then as his church, we continue to call people to his name. Considering the time span from Abraham to Jesus to us, There's a lot of patience that took place. There's about 1,800 years between Abraham to Jesus. There's been about 2,023, roughly, uh, from Jesus to us. So somewhere in the neck of 4,000 years. um, It's where we begin to see the longevity and the patience that God has for bringing His promises about in this double guarantee. I was reminded of the uh, uh, great theologically focused movie of Tommy Boy as I was uh, writing this. Maybe you remember Tommy Boy? Anybody? Does somebody? Sarah smile at least? Okay. Um, we, either you're too young or you're too old maybe to remember Tommy Boy. Chris Farley plays the son of uh, Tommy Boy. He plays Tommy Boy. He is the son of a car part manufacturer in the Midwest of all places in which he, uh, the, the father dies and then they have to save the company by going around to uh, um, sell the parts. And everybody switched over to, uh, oh no, I'm forgetting the guy's name. Uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd plays him, this very Chicago kind of guy, uh, who has a guarantee on his box, on his on his products. He guarantees the thing. And so now they have to fight against it. They've guaranteed all their products. They've just never put the guarantee on the box. And he's trying to sell uh, his products to this one particular um, uh, inventory guy. And he says, well, there's no guarantee on the box. It should be on the box looking at you, comforting you. And this is where Chris Farley says, well, you can take a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up a bull's butt But wouldn't you rather take the butcher's word for it? Here we have the guarantee of God and what he is doing. His promise, he says, I will comfort you in this promise. And I will guarantee you, I am the butcher. I have made the cuts. And I am bringing my my will, my promise to fulfillment here in this place in your life. Here's the problem for us. 
takes patience. And patience spits in the face of our idols, particularly the idol of control. And the fantasy that we have uh, in controlling everything, everything goes according to plan, and we have our kind of puppet strings in our hands controlling everything. But the idol of control lies to us. It tells us that we're in charge, that we can create the outcome that we so desperately long for. We can ensure the outcome of our own lives as well as the lives of those around us. This world in which sells us the idol of control also tells us that there is no God, that no one who, there is no one who cares deeply about us, who loves us, and so you are the master of your own domain. You have to control the world around you, and to do that, you have to appease the gods of this world through money, sex, power, materialism, through control. And in doing so, we believe that we can control the outcome of our lives and avoid the pain and suffering that inevitably, inevitably comes. This is an illusion. This is a fantasy world that we live in where nothing goes wrong and there is no pain and suffering in this world. And yet we all know that we face pain and suffering. We've experienced it. Maybe we are experiencing it. We will continue to experience it. These idols and these fantasies lie to us and tell us, that we are in control. We can know it's an idol, Tim Keller says, because an idol is anything that absorbs our heart and imagination more than God. To look at God, to look at what He is doing in this world, in this place, is to believe the truth that He is at work. Our author tells us that God does not lie, which means He is fully honest about who we are, and the pain and the suffering that we're going to experience. And he's wholly honest in telling us still how deeply he loves us and comes for us and promises salvation for us. Patience is learning that God is in control and trusts that he will bring about his purpose in the world and in our lives. Abraham trusted God when he asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac the one through whom he would bless and multiply multiply Abraham. And God stilled his hand when he found that his faith was in him. Abraham trusted patiently in God's goodness and love and grace. We are going to face trials and suffering in this life. There are things that are way outside of our control, but the promise of God beckons us to patience and faith in God's double guarantee. And in our waiting, God gives us an anchor to hold fast to. He gives us hope. The last half of this passage is about our anchor. The last half of 18, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He calls us refugees. It's not something that I really want to be known as. I see the life 
that refugees have, the hardness, the horrendous situations that they have left behind, the years of waiting, enduring hardships and ocean crossings and chaos for the sake of the promise of a new world, a new land to be able to live in, a new life. And yet here we find ourselves being told that we are refugees fleeing. What are we fleeing? We're fleeing our past life, the world that the, the, the life that God has saved us from, a life of destruction, a life of death, a life in the world of chaos. And in that, we are encouraged to hold fast to the hope set before us. What is that hope? It's an anchor for our soul. It's something that holds us fast, that holds us secure. An anchor secures a vessel to the bed of a body of water, the base of it, the bottom of it, to prevent it from drifting due to wind, to the waves, due to currents or storms. That which comes naturally about in this world and that which is unnatural as well. This anchor holds our souls to something immovable, no matter what is pushing our soul around in our lives. What winds, what waves, what currents and what storms we face. This anchor holds us to our hope. If you go into my childhood bedroom, you would see a large picture of a regatta, a sailing ship. You would look over in the corner and you would see um, knots that sailors use. I don't have those memorized. I don't use them on a regular basis. I actually love sailing. I love going out and pushing the boat. My dad can remember this. He was on the boat. Um, my best friend growing up, uh, his dad had a sailboat and we went out and he let me um, captain it, if you will, steer it and all that. And I pushed it to its edge. We were at full tilt uh, going through the waters of Grand Lake, of all places in Oklahoma. But I love sailing. I had a fantasy life uh, in high school. It was a fantasy that I would grow up and own a ship, a sailing ship, and just sail around the Caribbean. That would be my life. It didn't include the storms that I would face. It didn't include any kind of hardships, but that's what fantasies are about, right? Like That's why we have them, so there's no problems, there's no difficulties, there's no sacrifices. Real life has storms. Our marriages are difficult. Our jobs fail us. We might fail our jobs. Our kids don't behave like we would like them to, or someone doesn't behave towards our kids like we would like them to. We have wounds in our lives from bosses, parents, coworkers, friends, those who we see closest to us. As I was reading Psalms this last week, David has a, um, a petition against God, and he says, This, my friend, whom I broke bread with, is one who has betrayed us. We experience pain in our relationships. And we work, and we work, and we work. We save to retire, and our health goes out on us as soon as we do. The economy changes, and we find out that we didn't have enough saved as we would like to have. Culture shifts and waves that take place in the past few years have us looking around and wondering where our place is in this world we find that we are refugees and we don't know what our hope is. What is our hope? Jesus Christ, the great high priest forever, who has gone behind the curtain of death to the very throne of God. And there is a rope that runs back that is tied securely 
to the throne of God where Jesus sits interceding on us, on our behalf, daily, constantly before God so that we know that we have an anchor in Him. This anchors us to Him. So that when we face the death of our idol of control, when we face the waves that uh, toss us about, we can know that we are anchored to the very throne of God by Christ himself. That is how we are held fast by Jesus, the great high priest forever. So I want to do a little imaginative exercise. I want us to close our eyes. I want this to become real for us. I want us to imagine that there's a rope that runs down from heaven that is tied securely to you. It will not let go of you. It will not let you go. And through whatever you face, it is tied to you. The other end is tied to the throne of God, securing you to that throne in the most uh, secure nautical knot that there is. Now, I want you to look around your life. I want you to see the storms that you face. I want you to see the challenges that are before you. I want to see the parts of your life where you want control. Jobs, family, marriages, financial difficulties, health, maybe even death that you are facing. Feel the immense weight of it. Look at the darkness of the clouds that surround you, the size of the waves. Now look back to the rope that secures you to the throne of God. As you face these challenges in your life, that rope is still holding on to you. This is a rope that can never be destroyed, never untied as a rope forever, eternal and unchanging. You can open your eyes. There's a picture that got sent around uh, about a year or two ago um, of a roadside sign that said, get that tattoo, your parents are already disappointed in you. That's a joke, mom and dad. Much to my parents' disappointment, at the age of 40, I got a tattoo. They held it off for like 20 years. We don't talk about it. But it's an anchor because that's who Christ is for me. And that as I look around where my life is going, where it has gone, I can look down and be reminded that He is my anchor. No matter what I am facing no matter where we go in life, we are moored to Jesus, holding fast to him, who is our hope, the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful um, that we know in you we have new life. We no longer have to be uh, refugees, but we have a home in you. We are secured to you. We have a port of call in you. We have an anchor that secures us to your throne. 
Help us to see beyond the winds and waves of our lives, the storms that chase us down, the challenges that we face in our life. Help us to see you. Give us the courage to be able to face those, knowing that you hold us securely to you, to your grace, to your mercy, to the hope that we have in Jesus, the one, only one, who gives us true hope in this life. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.